Almighty God, the God who controls all things, you who have numbered the very hairs on our head, we pray to you this morning. We pray that as your word is open before us, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. We do pray that as we meet in this place this morning, as our hearts may be heavy and our minds full of the world, we pray that you would turn us aside from these things. We pray that your living word would be open to us and that we would hear from you directly this morning. We do pray that you would forgive the preacher for his shortcomings. We pray that you would bless both hearer and preacher alike this morning. And we pray that we would repent of our sin and turn to you again this morning. Father, forgive us for not listening attentively. Forgive us for the times when we have transgressed your word, even knowing what it means. Have mercy upon us. According to your loving kindness, we do ask this day and for the rest of our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My sermon title this morning, I may have said this last time I was here, that I'm not very witty. I'm not the brightest bear in the woods when it comes to constructing sermon titles. And with Solomon, I say that there is nothing new under the sun. There are men who spend hour upon hour labouring trying to come up with some witty title. I don't have a witty title for you this morning. But the title this morning is Jonah the Preacher on the Run. It's really the title for the whole sermon series that, God willing, I will be preaching over the next several weeks. So Jonah the Preacher on the Run. And in particular, I want us to look at the first three verses of Jonah chapter 1 this morning. The first three verses only. And the other thing is I'm a little bit slow. I'm not very quick on the uptake, as we may say, so I like to work slowly. So forgive me if you're racing ahead thinking, why is he just dealing with the first three verses? I hope and pray that the rest will come later. I need to go over the same thing constantly because I make the same mistakes and I fall into the same sin. And so this morning, just these mere three verses of God's word. If you look in your Bible, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> you know, I'm astounded so many times when I talk to people who call themselves Christians of what little knowledge they have of the Bible. I really am amazed that we live in such a blessed age where we have access to so much information about the Word of God. We can study the original languages, we can go to various places throughout the world and we can read original manuscripts, we can listen to lectures online for free in many cases. 
There is so much information, but it's almost like in our mind there's just too much information now. So we need sometimes to just focus on God's word and exactly what it it is telling us. So there is so much in these few verses. Greater men than me could preach hundreds of sermons on these verses alone. But where are we in the history of the world? What time period are we dealing with here? Well, the Word of God actually tells us. In the opening verse, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, I said earlier I'm not the brightest bear in the woods. And if you're like me, you may have a reference Bible. So I don't want you to think that I'm clever. All this is is a concordance. So you can look this up yourself. It's not rocket science. But my concordance tells me that this links God's word to another portion of God's word. Just this one verse. And it links us to the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. Now this isn't going to be a concordance lesson, but I want us to go to that quickly this morning. The book of 2 Kings and chapter 14. Second Kings chapter 14 and verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. See, it links it to a historical event. But we continue on. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant, who? You have to say it. Jonah. Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. There it is, God's word being its own commentary. Here God's word tells us exactly who Jonah is, where he is from, and what time period we are dealing with. So you don't have to be a scholar to understand these things. It's very elementary. Forgive me if I'm insulting your intelligence this morning. As I said, I'm not that bright. So here it is, the historical context of this man whose God's word tells us is the prophet Jonah. And if that's not enough, our scripture reading then this morning linked us to Matthew chapter 12. Again, just a mere concordance reference. But here the Lord Jesus Christ links us to Jonah. Now, if you're like me, you might wander around the shopping centre thinking, where on earth am I? And you're looking for this big red dot, and it's normally got an arrow or something, and it reads, you are here. This is where we are in the history of the world with the book of Jonah. We're dealing with a historical man, the prophet of God, who has prophesied before this book was written even. So it links it to an actual time and place. And what time and place is this? Well, it's roughly 770 years before the time of Christ. And we know that the kingdom in this time of Israel, the 12 tribes, has been divided. 
The kingdom before this, just quickly, has been united under David and in part under Solomon, but then God divides the kingdom after Solomon. And all of a sudden, there is a division in the kingdom. There are ten tribes in the north of Israel and two tribes in the south. And so the northern area is called Israel and the southern area is called Judah, which is made up of Judah and Jerusalem. Sometimes the word of God refers to Israel of all of the tribes. But in this particular instance, and with the prophet Jonah, he comes from the northern kingdom and he's been sent to prophesy to the north. So he's already prophesied to the king of Israel. And what has God done through him? The book of Second Kings tells us that the king listened to him. The king in the north listened to Jonah and acted upon what he said. So one of the first indicators that Jonah is a true prophet is that he has prophesied and God has blessed his prophecy. I spoke to a man this week I was working with. He's a Muslim. And I like asking Muslim questions because they don't know history. I'm not doing it to tie them in knots, but I'm asking them questions in the hope that they will question what it is they believe. And so I was asking this man many questions. He said, I believe in Jesus. And he's telling the truth. He does believe in Jesus. And I said, oh yes, I, I know that you believe in Jesus. You believe he's a prophet. Oh yes, yes, he's a prophet. Definitely. I said, yes, but what exactly do you believe about Jesus? His lips were tied. I said, well, let me perhaps enlighten you to what I think you believe about Jesus. My understanding is that you believe that Jesus is a prophet, an important one, one of 250,000 prophets in Islam. Is that correct? Yes. You believe that he didn't die on a Roman cross and three days later he didn't rise to life. But your God, Allah, deceived all of the people at the crucifixion and replaced Jesus on the cross with Judah, with um, Judas. And then Jesus was miraculously taken to heaven and he did not suffer. Is that correct? Yes, you're right. You see, you have to ask Muslims the right questions because they will just so quickly say, yes, we believe Jesus to be a prophet and we love Jesus. I said, see, the Jesus that you know and believe in is not my Jesus. And the prophet Muhammad records these false things about Jesus. Over 600 years after the time of Christ, all of a sudden he contradicts the gospel accounts of what has come before, the eyewitness accounts. One man contradicts them, he doesn't write it down, and then years later some other people write down his thoughts. But the one thing that stands out about the so-called prophet Muhammad is he didn't have any true prophecies. There was nothing that he prophesied that actually came true in his time. There was nothing that was verifiable. It was all hearsay. But here the word of God is not hearsay. Here we have Jonah the prophet linked to an historical event by another writer. And then we have the Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking of Jonah. You know these so-called liberal Christians... I've heard one of them comment on this and say that the whole book of Jonah is a fishy book. 
and they all have a bit of a chuckle as they say this. What they mean by that is nothing to do with a great fish. They mean that the whole thing smells a bit, that it's not actually a historical event. But you see what happens when we start to say these ridiculous things about God's word. I don't have to defend God's word. It does it itself. It stands by itself, but I'm just explaining this. That God's word commentates on itself. And you see, if you say that this didn't happen and that Jonah wasn't a historical figure, all of a sudden you've made a liar of God, you made a liar of his word, and you made a liar of his son. Because all of a sudden you have to say that then the book of Second Kings has been changed, that Jonah magically had some power to get a book that was written hundreds of years before him and change it, and then Christ also didn't believe this. But Christ tells us that Jonah was a prophet and that he was swallowed by a great fish and that he even likens his own suffering and his own death and resurrection to what has come before hundreds of years in Jonah. So you see, the word of God is interlocked at all places. And if we just say, well, we can just push this bit aside, we run into problems. So three points this morning. Jonah the man, Jonah the missionary, and Jonah just like us. I happen to believe that if you read through the book of Jonah in the coming weeks, and I'd suggest that you reread it and reread it, what you will start to see is what is revealed in Jonah's behaviour is the problem that every one of us face. It's the core problem that is in our heart, whether or not we've been quickened by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, we are still suffering with this problem, this heart condition, where we still desire at some point in our lives, whether it be daily or weekly or monthly or yearly, to rebel against God's word and to rebel against God's will. And so the book of Jonah really encompasses the Christian life that so many of us lead. I struggle with this too, brethren. Preachers are not isolated from these things. You know, I hear preachers who, who put themselves up, they want to separate themselves from congregations, say, well, well, I don't struggle with that, that's not a problem with me. Rubbish. The apostle writing the word of God said, let those who think they stand take heed lest they fall. If you don't think that you have ever lived a life similar to Jonah, I'm not saying that we're all prophets, but if you don't think that is you, you have overlooked something and you are just about to fall. Let's get that clear from the start. I am not exempt from these things, nor is anybody here. So Jonah the man. He's a historical man. He's one of the minor prophets, so-called. Now, don't think that just because as we divide up our Bibles in a scholarly way, that we divide Jonah into the minors and we say, well, he's not as important. Some people start to get this concept that just because scholars call him one of the minor prophets, that he's not important, every word of God is important. Okay? So he's not a minor just because he's not important. He's one of the minor prophets purely because of the length of his writing. 
in our English translation, we have a mere four chapters that are very short, maybe two and a half pages of our Bible. That's not to mean that he's not important. Now this man, Jonah, we're told he comes from this place, Gath Hefer, in the, in the north of Israel. It's located in Samaria, around 50 kilometres north of Joppa. And so, this historical man has been called by God for a purpose. God speaks directly to Jonah. Now I'm going to, I hope this isn't a revelation, but God doesn't speak directly to any of us any longer except through his word. I want to make that very clear. If you are here today and you believe that you are having revelations from God, you need pastoral help. You need to meet with the elders of the church and have a talk with them because something is wrong. I remember going to a Christian lecture one day with some friends and a man come out on stage, it was quite a big event in the hills suburb of Sydney and he comes out on stage and he stands up and he says, God has told me X, Y, Z. And I turned to my friend and I said, God has told me not to listen to anybody who said God has told him because God only speaks through me now. You see the problem when we believe that God is communicating directly to us in an audible voice. Because all of a sudden, you may have no intention of this happening, but at some point you will start to elevate yourself. You can see this in the Seventh-day Adventist movement with Ellen G. White. And you can see this with many cult leaders. All of a sudden the revelations that they may be having may be true according to God's word. But at some point, all of a sudden those revelations start to reveal to that person that they are superior to others and that they should be listened to above all others and therefore they are God's spokesperson. So the warning is, God is not speaking to any of you except through his word. And if something is a new revelation that is not in God's word, you are falling into error. So a great warning comes from God's word for us. Because it says that in these last days, in the earlier days, he spoke through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore, on the other side of the cross, we have his word. So you no longer need prophets, any modern day prophets. They are all in error. There is nothing new in Christianity except falsehood. So let's get that straight. But Jonah, the man, the prophet of God, in this time, has been spoken to directly by God himself. So he says to Jonah in verse 2 of chapter 1, Arise, arise and go to Nineveh. So that is before Jonah has been communicated to by God, before this event. Jonah has been a prophet before this. He was not a beginner. This was not the beginning. God had spoken to Jonah before this event. 
He had proven Jonah. He had raised Jonah up for a purpose. And as you are here today, and as I am here today, God has a purpose for every one of us. It's not to live your best life now, as Joel Osteen would have you believe. He wrote a book and it sells millions of copies. He's very popular. He has nice teeth. He smiles a lot, but he doesn't know God's word. No, God's purpose is for you to glorify him. That's his purpose. What was Jonah's purpose in life? To glorify God. And how was he to do that? He was to live his life according to what God said. So he awakes Jonah, as it would be. He says, arise, that is, in a scriptural term, gird up your loins, man. Gird up your loins and go. Go to Nineveh. Now just pause here for a moment. We now understand something of this man Jonah. He's an Israelite. He's in Samaria, in the north of Israel. I don't have a degree in geography, but when I quickly look at my Bible map, I find out that this place, Nineveh, is not in Israel. It's not there. So God is calling Jonah not to go to the Israelites, but to go to a foreign people. To go to this place that God himself calls a great city. You're going to have to go, Jonah, not to the people that you've been raised amongst, not to the people who you are first prophesied to, but you are going to have to leave the comfort of Israel, the place where I dwell, and you are going to have to go to another nation. And just in case you don't get it, it's a great city, this place, Nineveh. Perhaps we could say in modern terms, in our own understanding, perhaps it's a great city, something like we might say Canberra was, for example. We might say today that Canberra is a great city, or Sydney is a great city. Just imagine for a moment, if you can, being in Jonah's shoes at this time. He's been raised up by God. He hasn't just been thrown in the deep end. This has taken some time for him to be called into the office of being a prophet. He's prophesied and he has been successful. And then all of a sudden, God has pulled the rug out from under him. How terrible for poor Jonah. Imagine what it would be like for you in Sydney in 2015, in this lovely, nice place that we live in. We have a beautiful, glorious, sunny day. We meet today in a nice building, and you probably have a nice job, or you're studying and things are going well for you. Perhaps you're successful in what you are doing. And all of a sudden, God tears all that away from you, and you have to go to a foreign nation, and you have to live a completely different life, and you have to tell people something that they don't want to hear. It's not very pleasant, is it? It's pretty horrible if you were living here in Sydney in 2015 and you had to do something like that. It's not very nice. 
Many of us have to do things that aren't very nice. Some of you might have awful jobs, or you might study in awful places, or you might think that your parents are awful, or your grandparents are awful. It's not nice, is it? It's awful. We're, we're so hard done by to live in this nation. No, we're not. Wherever you are at the moment, and I'm preaching this to myself today, I, I can tell you that with a clear conscience. Wherever you are, it is exactly where God wants you to be. Yes, he's working out his purpose through you, and he will not fail in that. But no matter how downheartened you are, God is the one who is doing it to you. And it's for his glory and for his purpose. And so here he's raised up Jonah, he's let him prophesy to a people, he's given him success, and then all of a sudden he says, now you'll do what I want you to do to a different people. A people who perhaps aren't exactly the same as you. In this case, and in this great city is certainly not the same as Jonah's city. Certainly not the same as Jerusalem. Certainly not the same as his belief system. No, poor Jonah now is called by God to go to a foreign land and to do something that is difficult. It's going to cost him. He's going to have to leave his family. It's not going to be much fun. He's not going to have high fives from everybody. He's not going to be perhaps very successful. It's going to be difficult for this poor man, Jonah. But why does God want this? For his purpose. For their wickedness, he tells us at the end of verse 2, has come up before me. God, who knows all things, who has predestined all things, has predestined this time in the world's history where he would raise up a prophet to go to this great city, Nineveh, and to preach to these wicked people. You know, he's done this in the history of the West through his word time and time again. He's done this in our nation time and time again. And what happens? I don't really believe that there has been a great revival in Australia. I don't believe that in the history of our nation that there has been a great repentance. Some look back to the time of Billy Graham in 59 and they think that was the closest we got. I don't have much time for Dr. Graham. But putting that aside, this city, Nineveh, God has predetermined that this prophet will go there and that he will do what God wants him to do. You see, you and me will do what God wants us to do regardless of whether we even want to. You know, there's this view around in Christianity today. I listened to a preacher this morning on the radio and the drive-in and I agreed with 99% of what he said. But he said that God is inviting you. Sorry, no, God's not inviting you. God has either called you to repentance or he has not. He is either going to deal graciously with you or he is not. There's no invitation there. It's repent and believe the gospel. God is not a respecter of man. He will do with his creation 
as what pleases him. So Jonah, the man, would have been suffering quite intently at this time, being called to go to a foreign people. It wouldn't have been pleasant for him. Then we come to our next heading, Jonah, the missionary. Not only was Jonah a prophet, but really Jonah was an early missionary. He sent to a foreign people, and he sent to give them a word, the prophecy of God, that they don't want to hear, and he has to get on with it. He's to be a missionary. You know, so many missionaries today, I hear this in Christian circles, short-term mission work. What nonsense, short-term mission work. Our whole lives as Christians is mission. It's missional. Not all are called to be preachers and pastors, but every one of us is called to be actively engaged in mission work. Not all of us will be great evangelists. Not all of us will be confrontational for the sake of Christ. But every one of us is to be a missionary. I know this isn't popular. I know we like to think in the modern era that mission work is something that's done somewhere else. We're we're quite happy to give our money to mission societies. Why? Because it's quite comfortable, isn't it? You just put some money aside and you give it on your terms and when you feel like it. And then you might get a nice glossy brochure from that mission society. And and it might have all the wonderful things that the missionary you're sponsoring is doing. It's it's all very polite, isn't it? That's how polite we've made Christianity. It's all just loving and polite and we can all smile. We don't have to suffer any longer. We can just say, we we funded a missionary. Wasn't that wonderful? And Next year we'll fund somebody else or we might add to that. Now every one of us as Christians is called to be a missionary. Every single one of us. We may not speak these things, but we are to act these things. I may have said last time I was here that I meet these undercover Christians. I'm not sure if you've ever worked with one of these people, but perhaps you've been a little bit outspoken at something and you've you've dared speak up and said, oh, I'm actually a Christian, I wouldn't do that. And then in secret somebody has come to you perhaps like one of the Pharisees did with our Lord, come to you and say, you know, I'm actually a Christian, but but I'm not as bold as you and I I don't speak these things. I like to say to these people, oh, I didn't realise you were working undercover. I'll, I'll just keep it under wraps for everybody, so just so you don't suffer at all. Because they want everything comfortable. What they mean by that is that they haven't put their hand to the plough at all. What they mean is that they haven't counted the cost of following Christ and that nine times out of ten they're not actually following him. They're doing things their way. They want to live comfortably. Now the life of the Christian is the life of a missionary and it is a life that is lived every day in thought and in deed, whether with our voice or with our actions. And Jonah was called to be a missionary. We are called to be missionaries, perhaps not to a people with a foreign tongue. 
But you know what, brethren, there are two religions of this world. There is only one from heaven and one is from hell. One is the religion of Christianity that is true and is the follower of Christ. The other religion is the religion of Satan. It's the religion that every other religion is. There are two strains running through the Bible and through our day to day. We see it in the garden and we see it in Cain and Abel. There are two religions being revealed. One the religion of man born in hell and one the religion of God born in heaven. And every person is following one or the other. And so you may think, well, I'm living in Australia, the people speak English, I'm not called to a foreign people of a foreign tongue. No, you are. You are called to a people who hate God by birth. And you and me must live amongst these people and we are not to become like them. We are to become more and more like Christ. And this is what Jonah was to do. He was to go to this city, Nineveh, and he was to prophesy and to be a missionary and not be tainted by them. I'm not saying that this is easy because you know and I know that it is not. It was foreign to Jonah to be sent to a Gentile land and to have to prophesy and to be a missionary. And it's foreign to us by birth, even being quickened by the Spirit, to actually live out our faith. It is difficult. It is going to cost us. It will cost you friendships. It will cost you family. It will cost you jobs. And our Lord said that it may even cost you your very life. So here Jonah, the prophet, the missionary, is called to go to a foreign people. He's not the only one in the Old Testament who was called to go to a foreign people. If we took time this morning and we went through God's word, we would find out that there's been several others. Elijah and Elisha were called to a foreign people. And remember that their miracles saved Gentiles. And Christ reiterates this, which upsets the Jews. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear, well, we're just the chosen people. We don't need to worry about everybody else. We have our religion and we'll be fine. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Perhaps this, I was born a Catholic, I'll die a Catholic. How ridiculous. Now, if you're a Christian, you're not called just to do certain things on certain days like other religions. Not just to come here on the Lord's Day and act like a Christian. Not to come to the prayer meeting perhaps on a Wednesday night, I'm not sure when you have it, and learn to say Amen at the right time. No, you're not called to do that. You're called to live as Christ. And we know how Christ lived. We know that he ended up on a Roman cross at a point in his life. Perhaps you and me, in truly living out our faith, may end up losing our lives. But our Lord told us that if we lose our life for his sake, not in some stupid jihad in trying to gain salvation, 
But if we lose our lives living our faith, we have gained our lives. You see, Jonah should have listened to God. Jonah, knowing God and prophesying for God, should have been able to say, Yes, Lord, I will go for you. I will do this thing. I will go to this great city, Nineveh, and I don't care what they think of me, I'll do it. But under our third heading this morning, Jonah, just like us, or Jonah, just like one of us, what do we see revealed in God's word in verse 3? But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish to to flee from the presence of the Lord. Here he was. Before this moment, he was comfortable. You may be here today and you may not know Christ as your Saviour and you may be living very, very comfortably. But if the Lord in his grace and mercy saves you, you won't be comfortable. I remember when I was saved by the grace of God, God really turned my life upside down. And all of a sudden life wasn't comfortable. Before that I'd lived very comfortably in my sin. I believed that God was blessing me. I thought I knew God and I thought everything was going well because I lived comfortably. But after he saved me, life got very difficult. And the problem is in many churches today, and I'm glad this isn't one of them, but there's this mindset that if God loves you and he saved you, then everything will be hunky-dory for you. Everything will be wonderful. Perhaps you should go and buy a video store or something and maybe a whole chain of them and everything will go wonderful for you because God loves you and he wants to bless you and you to live comfortably for the rest of your life and you can have great teeth like the preacher. It's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Now if the Lord saves you, your life's probably going to get more difficult. Because all of a sudden the things that you did before make you uncomfortable. And the things that you lived for before, you no longer can live for. And the life that you led before, you can't lead anymore. And God's going to put hurdles in your way. He'll raise up people who hate you. They may be members of your own family. Our Lord tells us, that he said that he'd come not to bring peace, as the modern preacher believes, but he'd come to bring a sword, that is division. That he'd come to set mother against daughter. That he'd come to set father against son, and children against their parents, and children against children. You see, the gospel brings division. But in that division, there is unity. Because when you start to make a stand for your faith, when you start to stand up for Christ, if you have been saved by his grace, the Lord brings the right people into your life at the right time. He's guiding you the whole way. You know this, um, I don't know what you call it, maybe some witty axiom that all these people love, footprints in the sand. Have you ever seen this? Some of you have seen this. That is this person... Um, sees that there's two sets of footprints and then all of a sudden there's only one and there's two and there's one. 
This person says to the Lord, oh, where were you when there's only one? And, and the Lord says, I was carrying you. What rot? I'm sorry if you like that, but it's absolute rot. It really is. The Lord's carrying you the whole time of your life. You're not walking by yourself, you can't. If you follow your own heart, you'll end up in sin and wickedness and hell. That's where you'll end up. But if the Lord loves you and he saved you, he's acting on you. He's carrying you the whole time. He never leaves you alone. If he's left you alone today, something's wrong. If you think the Lord's leaving you alone, something's wrong. Perhaps you don't belong to him. You need to repent. The Lord will not leave his people alone. He may be chastening you today. He chastens the preacher very often because he needs chastening. He may be working on you through chastening. Why? Because if he loves you, as a father loves their child, he chastens that child. And so the Lord, if he loves you and you are his, he will chasten you. You will never walk by yourself, regardless of how you feel, he will be carrying you the whole time. He was carrying you even before you were saved, says the word of God. Before you were even saved, before the foundation of the world, says God's word. God had a plan and he will not fail. I know this is not popular today because modern we're so enlightened today, we want to say, no, 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 you have a free will. You can do things your way. Your way will lead you to hell. Your will is not free, says God's word. It is bound to sin and to Satan, or is it alive by God's grace to Christ? So he's carrying you. And believe it or not, even here, as Jonah, just like us, arises to go the opposite direction, guess what? God is carrying him. He actually believes, like I foolishly believe so often in my life, that I'm doing something myself. That I'm actually doing something and I'm making great decisions and I'm pressing on in the right direction and then something awful happens. Well, from my position it's awful. Perhaps the radio's not working in the car or something as trivial as that. We have so many first world problems here in Sydney, so many difficulties. But then something happens and all of a sudden things get altered. My plan gets altered. And you know what? I don't like it. I'm very frank with you all. It's not a secret. I don't like it when God changes my plans. You shouldn't feel this way, don't follow me, but I, I personally don't like it. I have wonderful plans, perhaps you're here today and you have a wonderful plan of what you will do this afternoon. I have plans this afternoon of driving home, but the Lord may have other plans. He may decide that I won't get home. He may decide that the car might break down or that I may be killed in an accident. There's no accidents. God's plan is perfect, whether or not we like it. God is in charge of all of us. We may hate it. It makes no difference. God is sovereign over all. You may think that you're sinning aside from God, but you are not. 
God is using even your very sin, and I know this is controversial to say today, because people don't, they, they shy away from this, they can't handle it, but even your sin, God is using for a purpose. Ultimately, the end of that purpose is to glorify him. He's using it. He's predestined all things. Jesus says he's numbered the very hairs on your head. That's how accurate God is. You're here today not because you drove yourself, but because God wanted you here. Jonah tried to run away, just like one of us. He believed that when he fled to Joppa to get on that ship to go to Tarshish, that he was in control. He actually believed that. Just like I believe I'm in control of my actions today. I'm responsible, definitely. But God is sovereign over everything we do. And so here Jonah is, being called by God as a prophet and as a missionary, and then he thinks to himself, this is all in the too hard basket. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, I have, it's normally daily. It's all in the too hard basket. Why God, I don't know if you've ever done this, if you pulled your car over, I did it just the other day, and put your head in the head, but why God have you got me doing this now? You could have made me a millionaire, and I could have lived quite comfortably. How wonderful would that have been? And in that prayer, as I'm praying to the Lord, I start to realise what on earth is going on. All of a sudden I'm becoming introspective. And I'm looking at myself and being poor, helpless me. What can God do for me today? And that's what Jonah did here. Jonah, just like being one of us, started thinking, this is all too hard. I don't want to go to this place. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do it my way. But couldn't he have just left him in Israel and just had a nice time? It would have been so much more pleasant and polite. Perhaps God could have allowed me to stay in bed that day instead of driving a horrible truck. It would have been lovely. But he didn't. So as we're living our lives, even if we're running from God, he's still working. And so here, as Jonah goes in the opposite direction to Nineveh, God is working. He goes to that ship. Now, isn't it amazing? Just ponder this for a moment, if you'll stay with me. Isn't it amazing that there was a ship even waiting for him? Now, Joppa may have been a great port, and there may have been many ships there. It's pretty amazing that there's just a ship there, and then all of a sudden this prophet running from God has the money. Have you ever stopped and thought about that when you're downhearted? Preaching this to myself, I need to hear this. But have you ever stopped and thought about that? How is it that you can actually do these things? If you don't want to do what God wants you to do, how is it that you can even do the opposite? Because God allows you to. Yea, God has even predestined you to, for his end. And so here, as Jonah runs in the opposite direction, as he goes to Joppa, and as there just happens to be, by chance, so-called, the ship there, going to Tarshish, he just happens to have the fare to board that ship. Incredible, really. Perhaps if we just spent some time backtracking our actions, 
And thinking, how have I got to this point? We've all got a story. Every one of us as we're here today. All of you have a history of how you're here today. How did you get here? You may think it's by chance, but it wasn't. God, in his infinite sovereignty, worked it out. He predestined it. And so here, he allows Jonah to run in the opposite direction. He allows the ship to be there. He allows Jonah to have the right amount of money to board that ship. And he allows Jonah to leave. Now don't think, brethren, that Jonah is so foolish that he actually believes he can flee from the presence of the Almighty God. Remember when we were talking about Jonah's life, Jonah knew God. Jonah had seen God's almighty works through his word. Jonah wasn't a foolish man, some savage of some description who lived hundreds of years ago, who had no understanding. No, Jonah was a wise man. Jonah really knew that he honestly couldn't flee from God's presence. But what Jonah wanted to do was do things his way. And that's what we are all guilty of, particularly me. I want to do things my way. God allowed him to try that. God allows us to try many things. God is patient with his people and he's also patient with those who hate him. But he is not infinitely patient with those who hate him. Many think they have this skewed image of Christ that when he returns he will come just like he first came. He will come and he will teach people sayings, great sayings that many other religions have adopted, such as turn the other cheek and go the extra mile, and those things are true. And they believe that when he comes, that somehow he will be identical and that he will just forgive everybody. He says that when he returns, it will not be as a suffering saviour, but it will be as the judge of all the earth. It will be that he is a judge in perfect righteousness. And so you may be dealt with God at the moment and he may be dealing with you very patiently and you may be outside of Christ and living a very comfortable life and doing things your way, but you won't get away with it. It won't continue. You will either go to the grave and you will await judgment or Christ will return as the judge of all the earth, and you will not, you cannot avoid judgment. That's how it works. Just because you're getting away with it now doesn't mean that you will continually. But if, brethren, you are in Christ, you will never face a judgment. You will never face a judgment of condemnation. Because that judge is the one who paid for your sin. So Jonah's just like one of us. 
He's running in the other direction. He's not listening to God. We are so blessed to have God's word in our language. So many other generations have not had this, and yet we take it for granted. We leave it on a shelf, or we only pick it up once or twice a week. We are blessed today to be able to read God's word and have freedom and liberty to do so. We need to hear God through his word. We need to learn by Jonah, and we need to learn by the preacher today that God will deal with us. Whether we want to do what he wants us to do, whether we want to live a Christian life or not, whether or not we pass judgment today or not for another 50 or 100 years, God will deal with us. And God's purpose will be accomplished. Christ and his achievements are finished. It's not ongoing. When he hung on the Roman cross, he cried out, it is finished. There is no more to come. You are not getting another life. There's no second chance draw. You are living it now. Don't do what Jonah did. Don't do what I am guilty of doing. When you read God's word and God speaks to you through it, do it. And if you're not doing it, like me, repent. I repent before you all today that I am so guilty of not doing what I'm called to do. So I'm sure you are guilty of the same thing. And if you are here today and you do not know Christ, you need to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. It's not an invitation, it's a commandment. Repent and believe the gospel, said the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles. There is no other name by which you may be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Turn to Christ while he may be found. And his promises, not his offer, but his promises, those who turn to him, he will not cast out. As I've said over and over again, I want you to understand this today. If you are not in Christ and you are doing things your way, you are going to hell and you are going there by your own words. If you are in Christ, your obligation is to follow him. And when you leave this place, to continue to follow him. When you go to work on Tuesday morning after your lovely holiday tomorrow, Continue to follow him. Don't put your hand to the plough and look back. Don't do it. You are not walking beside God. He is carrying you if you are in Christ. Don't do what Jonah did because God will chasten you. He will deal with you as a father deals with his child. Let's be done with nice, pleasant Christianity, brethren. Let's live our faith. Let's put the rubber to the road. Let us be soldiers of Christ. 
Let us not be mere people who can repeat certain sayings. Let us not be mere people who can say amen at the end of this sermon. But let us be a people who are filled with the Spirit of God by His grace, who stand for Him. Don't do what Jonah did and don't do what the preacher does so often. Follow hard after Christ. Don't worry about the cost. Do it because Christ is worthy. Do it because Christ is everything to you. Can't you see it, brethren? Can't you see it that our faith is not something that is dead, but our faith is something that is lived every single day? That it cost our Saviour close to 2,000 years ago, and it will cost us. But you know what? In doing so, we will glorify our Heavenly Father, and we will become more and more like Christ. Let us be armed with his word today that is sharper than any two-edged sword. Let us fall. Not to go and just turn on your TV and sit under mindless rubbish that will fill your head with nothing to do with Christ. But I pray that you are encouraged to leave this place and to meditate upon the Word of God. To get on your hands and on your knees and cry out to a God who is carrying you a second of the way. The one who is not leaving you alone. I'll seek the Lord, brethren, while he, may, while he may be found. Cry out to him, you who do not know him. And for you who do, keep plowing. Look to the Lord Jesus and live for him. Let us pray. Almighty God, we do praise you that you have not left your people alone. That you did not leave Jonah alone so long ago. And that you continue to work out your purpose through each one of us. We do pray that as we leave this place, that we would put on your armour. That we would know that the devil is seeking to destroy us and destroy our faith. But we know that Christ is greater than all. We know that the devil will not overcome him and cannot overcome him. So we pray that we would walk in his word, that we would walk according to his way, that we would not be downhearted this day. Forgive us for the times when we do flee or try to flee from your presence. Have us be a people who are encouraged to walk according to your will. And Lord, may you do a great work in each one of us and in this nation this day. Raise up a people who will go for you and who will stand for the truth in this place. And may you receive all honour and glory and praise for you alone are worthy. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.